Section 42 of A Popular History of France, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cathy Barrett. A Popular History of France from the Earliest Times, Volume 4, by François Guizot. Translated by Robert Black. Chapter 33. Charles the Ninth and the Religious Wars, 1560-1574. Part 8. The king was hunting at Brie. The queen mother went and joined him. She shut herself up with him in a cabinet, and bursting into tears, she said, quote, I should never have thought that in return for having taken so much pains to bring you up and preserve to you the crown, you would have had heart to make me so miserable a recompense. You hide yourself from me, me who am your mother, in order to take counsel of your enemies. I know that you hold secret counsels with the admiral. You desire to plunge rashly into war with Spain, in order to give your kingdom, yourself, and the persons that are yours, over as a prey to them of the religion. I am so miserable a creature, yet before I see that, give me leave to withdraw to the place of my birth. Remove from you your brother, who may call himself unfortunate in having employed his own life to preserve yours. Give him at least time to withdraw out of danger, and from the presence of enemies made in doing you service. Huguenots who desire not war with Spain, but with France, and the subversion of all the estates in order to set up themselves. End quote. Tavan himself terms these expressions quote, an artful harangue, end quote. but he says quote, it moved, astounded, and dismayed the king, not so much on the score of the Huguenots as of his mother and brother, whose subtlety, ambition, and power in the state he knew. He marvelled to see his counsels thus revealed. He avowed them, asked pardon, promised obedience. Having sown this distrust, having shot this first bolt, the queen mother, still in displeasure, withdrew to Monceau. The trembling king followed her. He found her with his brother, and Sieur de Tavannes, de Retz, and the secretary of state, de Sauve, the last of whom threw himself upon his knees, and received the majesty's pardon for having revealed his counsels to his mother. The infidelity, the bravado, the audacity, the manassas, and the enterprises of the Huguenots were magnified with so much of truth and art, that from friends behold them converted into enemies of the king, who nevertheless, wavering as ever, could not yet give up the desire he had conceived of winning glory and reputation by war with Spain. A fresh incident increased the agitation in the royal circle. In July 1572 the throne of Poland had become vacant. A Polish embassy came to offer it to the Duke of Anjou. On his part, and his mother's, there was at first great eagerness to accept it. Catherine was charmed to see her favorite son becoming a king. Quote, if we had required, says a Polish historian, that the French should build a bridge of solid gold over the Vistula, they would have agreed. End quote. Hesitation soon took the place of eagerness. Henry demanded information, and took time to reply. He had shown similar hesitation at the time of the negotiations entered upon in London in 1572, with a view of making him the husband of Elizabeth, Queen of England. Coligny, who was very anxious to have him away, pressed Charles the Ninth to insist upon a speedy solution. Quote, if monsieur, said he, who would not have England by marriage, will not have Poland either by election, let him declare once and for all that he will not leave France. End quote. The relations between the two brothers became day by day more uncomfortable. Two years later, Henry, for a brief period king of Poland, himself told the story of them to his physician Miron. 
Quote, when by any chance, he said, the Queen Mother and I, after the Admiral's departure, approached the King to speak to him of any matters, even those which concerned merely his pleasure, we found him marvellously quick-tempered and cross-grained, with rough looks and bearing, and his answers still more so. One day, a very short time before the St. Bartholomew, setting out expressly from my quarters to go and see the King, somebody told me on inquiry that he was in his cabinet, whence the Admiral, who had been alone with him a very long while, had just that instant gone out. I entered at once, as I had been accustomed to do. But as soon as the King my brother perceived me, he, without saying anything to me, began walking about furiously and with long steps, often looking towards me askance and with a very evil eye, sometimes laying his hand upon his dagger, and in so excited a fashion that I expected nothing else but that he would come and take me by the collar to poniard me. I was very vexed that I had gone in, reflecting upon the peril I was in, but still more upon how to get out of it which i did so dexterously that whilst he was walking with his back turned to me i retreated quickly towards the door which i opened and with a shorter obeisance than at my entry i made my exit which was scarcely perceived by him until i was outside and straightway i went to look for the queen my mother and putting together all reports notifications and suspicions the time and past circumstances in conjunction with this last meeting we remained both of us easily persuaded and as it were certain that it was the admiral who had impressed the king with some bad and sinister opinion of us and we resolved from that moment to rid ourselves of him one idea immediately occurred to catherine and her son two persons felt a passionate hatred towards coligny they were the widow of duke francis of guise anne d'est become duchess of nemours by a second marriage and her son henri de guise a young man of twenty-two they were both convinced that coligny had egged on poltrot to murder duke francis and they had sworn to exact vengeance being informed of the queen mother's and the duke of anjou's intention they entered into it eagerly the young duke of guise believed his mother quite capable of striking down the admiral in the very midst of one of the great assemblies at court the fair ladies of the sixteenth century were adepts in handling dagger and pistol in default of the duchess of nemours her son was thought of for getting rid of coligny Quote, it was at one time decided says the duke of bouillon in his memoir that m de guise should kill the admiral during a tilt at the ring which the king gave in the garden of the louvre and which all messieurs were to lead sides i was on that of the duke who was believed to have an understanding with the admiral on this occasion it was so managed that our dresses were not ready and the late duke and his side did not tilt at all the resolution against the admiral was changed prudently inasmuch as it was very perilous for the person of the king and of monsieur to have determined to kill him in that place there being present more than four hundred gentlemen of the religion who might have gone very far in case of an assault upon that lord who was so much beloved by them everything considered it was thought more expedient to employ for the purpose an inferior agent catherine and the duke of anjou sent for a gascon captain a dependent of the house of lorraine whom they knew to be resolute and devoted Quote, we had him shown the means he should adopt says the duke of anjou in attacking him who we had in our eye but having well scanned him himself and his movements and his speech and his looks which had made us laugh and afforded us good pastime we considered him too hare-brained and too much of a windbag to deal the blow well they then applied to an officer quote, of practice and experience in murder charles de louvier sieur de Morivert, who was called the king's slaughterman or le tueur du roi 
because he had already rendered such a service, and they agreed with him as to all the circumstances of place, time, and procedure most likely to secure the success of the deed, whilst giving the murderer chances of escape. In such situations there is scarcely any project the secret of which is so well kept that there does not get abroad some rumour to warn an observant mind and when it is the fate of a religious or a popular hero that is in question there is never any want of devoted friends or servants about him ready to take alarm for him when coligny mounted his horse to go from chatillon to paris a poor countrywoman on his estates threw herself before him sobbing quote, ah sir ah our good master you are going to destruction i shall never see you again if once you go to paris you will die there you and all those who go with you at Paris, on the approach of the St. Bartholomew, the admiral heard that some of his gentlemen were going away. Quote, they treat you too well here, said one of them, Languarin, to him. Better to be saved with the fools than lost for the sake of being thought over-wise. The admiral was beset by letters which reminded him of the queen-mother's crooked ways, and the detestable education of the king, trained to every sort of violence and horrible sin. His Bible is Machiavelli. He has been prepared by the blood of beasts for the shedding of human blood. He has been persuaded that a prince is not bound to observe an edict extorted by his subjects. To all these warnings Coligny replied at one time by affirming the king's good faith, and at another by saying, quote, I would rather be dragged dead through the muck-heaps of Paris than go back to civil war. This great soul had his seasons, not of doubt as to his faith, or discouragement as to his cause, but of profound sorrow at the atrocious or shameful spectacles and the public or private woes which had to be gone through. Charles the Ninth himself felt some disquietude as to the meeting of the Guises and Coligny at his court. The Guises had quitted it before the 18th of August, the day fixed for the marriage of King Henry of Navarre with Marguerite de Valois. When the marriage was over, they were to return, and they did. At the moment of their returning, the king said to Coligny, with demonstrations of the most sincere friendship, quote, "'You know, my dear father, the promise you made me not to insult any of the Guises as long as you remained at court.' on their side they have given me their word that they will have for you and all the gentry of your following the consideration you deserve i rely entirely upon your word but i have not so much confidence in theirs i know that they are only looking for an opportunity of letting their vengeance burst forth i know their bold and haughty character and as they have the people of paris devoted to them and as on coming hither under the pretext of the rejoicings at my sister's marriage they have brought a numerous body of well-armed soldiers i should be inconsolable if they were to take anything in hand against you such an outrage would recoil upon me that being so if you think as i do i believe the best thing for me is to order into the city the regiment of guards with such and such captains he mentioned none but those who were not objects of suspicion to coligny this reinforcement added the king will secure public tranquillity and if the factious make any disturbance there will be men to oppose to them the admiral assented to the king's proposal he added that he was ready to declare quote, that never had he been guilty or approving of the death of duke francis of guise and that he set down as a calumniator and a scoundrel whoever said that he had authorized it though frequently going to the palace both he and the guises they had not spoken when they met charles had promised the lorraine princes quote, not to force them to make friends with coligny more than was agreeable to them he believed that he had taken every precaution necessary to maintain in his court for some time at least the peace he desired 
on Friday the 22nd of August, 1572, Coligny was returning on foot from the Louvre to the Rue des Fosses, Saint-Germain-Auxerrois, where he lived. He was occupied in reading a letter which he had just received. A shot fired from the window of a house in the cloister of Saint-Germain-Auxerrois smashed two fingers of his right hand and lodged a ball in his left arm. He raised his eyes, pointed out with his injured hand the house whence the shot had come, and reached his quarters on foot. Two gentlemen who were in attendance upon him rushed to seize the murderer. It was too late. Morivert had been lodging there, and on the watch for three days at the house of a canon, an old tutor to the Duke of Guise. A horse from the Duke's stable was waiting for him at the back of the house, and having done his job, he departed at a gallop. He was pursued for several leagues without being overtaken. Coligny sent to apprise the king of what had just happened to him. Quote, there, said he, was a fine proof of fidelity to the agreement between him and the Duke of Guise. End quote. Quote, I shall never have rest then, cried Charles, breaking the stick with which he was playing tennis with the Duke of Guise and Teligny, the admiral's son-in-law, and he immediately returned to his room. The Duke of Guise took himself off without a word. Teligny speedily joined his father-in-law. Ambrose Père had already attended to him, cutting off the two broken fingers. Somebody expressed a fear that the balls might have been poisoned. Quote, it will be as God pleases as to that, said Coligny, and turning towards the minister, Merlin, who had hurried to him, he added, quote, Pray that he may grant me the gift of perseverance. End quote. Towards midday, Marshals de Damville, de Cosse, and de Villars went to see him, quote, out of pure friendship, they told him, and not to exhort him to endure his mishap with patience. We know that you will not lack patience. End quote. Quote, I do protest to you, said Coligny, that death affrights me not. It is of God that I hold my life. When he requires it back from me, I am quite ready to give it up. But I should very much like to see the king before I die. I have to speak to him of things which concern his person and the welfare of his state, and which I feel sure none of you would dare to tell him of. End quote. Quote, I will go and inform his majesty, rejoined Damville, and he went out with Villars and Teligny, leaving Marshal de Cosse in the room. Quote, do you remember, said Coligny to him, the warnings I gave you a few hours ago? You will do well to take your precautions. About two p.m., the king, the queen mother, and the dukes of Anjou and Alençon, her two other sons, with many of their high officers, repaired to the admiral's. Quote, My dear father, said the king as he went in, the hurt is yours, the grief and the outrage mine, but I will take such vengeance that it shall never be forgotten, End quote. to which he added his usual imprecations. Quote, then the admiral, who lay in bed sorely wounded, says the Duke of Anjou himself, in his account of this interview, requested that he might speak privately to the king, which the king granted readily, making a sign to the queen my mother, and to me, to withdraw, which we did incontinently into the middle of the room, where we remained standing during the secret colloquy, which caused us great misgiving. We saw ourselves surrounded by more than two hundred gentlemen and captains of the admiral's party, who were in the room and another adjoining, and besides in the ball below, the which, with sad faces and the gestures and bearing of malcontents, were whispering in one another's ears, frequently passing and repassing before and behind us, not with so much honour and respect as they ought to have done, and as if they had some suspicion that we had somewhat to do with the admiral's hurt. We were seized with astonishment and fear at seeing ourselves shut in there, as my mother has since many times confessed to me, saying that she had never been in any place where there was so much cause for fright, and whence she had gone away with more relief and pleasure. 
This apprehension caused us to speedily break in upon the conversation the admiral was having with the king, under a polite excuse invented by the queen my mother, who, approaching the king, said out loud that she had no idea he would make the admiral talk so much, and that she saw quite well that his physicians and surgeons considered it bad for him, as it certainly was very dangerous, and enough to throw him into a fever, which was above everything to be guarded against. She begged the king to put off the rest of their conversation to another time, when the admiral was better. This vexed the king mightily, for he was very anxious to hear the remainder of what the admiral had to say to him. However, he being unable to gainsay so specious an argument, we got the king away. And incontinently the queen-mother, and I too, begged the king to let us know the secret conversation which the admiral had held with him, and in which he had been unwilling that we should be participators, which the king refused several times to do. But finding himself importuned and hard-pressed by us, he told us abruptly and with displeasure, swearing by God's death that what the admiral said was true, that kings realized themselves as such in France only in so far as they had the power of doing harm or good to their subjects and servants, and that this power and management of affairs had slipped imperceptibly into the hands of the queen my mother and mine. This superintendent dominion, the admiral told me, might some day be very prejudicial to me and to all my kingdom, and that I should hold it in suspicion and beware of it, of which he was anxious to warn me, as one of my best and most faithful subjects, before he died. There, God's death, as you wish to know, is what the admiral said to me. This, said as it was with passion and fury, went straight home to our hearts, which we concealed as best we might, both of us, however, defending ourselves in the matter." We continued this conversation all the way from the admiral's quarters to the Louvre, where, having left the king in his room, we retired to that of the queen my mother, who was piqued and hurt to the utmost degree at this language used by the admiral to the king, as well as at the credence which the king seemed to accord it, and was fearful lest it should bring about some change and alteration in our affairs, and in the management of the state. Being unable to resolve upon any course at the moment, we retired, putting off the question till the morrow, when I went to see my mother, who was already up. I had a fine racket in my head, and so had she, and for the time there was no decision come to, save to have the admiral dispatched by some means or other. It being impossible any longer to employ stratagems and artifices, it would have to be done openly, and the king brought round to that way of thinking." we agreed that in the afternoon we would go and pay him a visit in his closet whither we would get the sieur de nevers marshals de tavannes and de retz and chancellor de birague to come merely to have their opinion as to the means to be adopted for the execution which we had already determined upon my mother and i End of section forty two